One of the best parts of whitewater kayaking is the people who you meet on the river. Tony Morell is one such person. Tony is an outdoorsman extraordinaire, an expert paddler, and father to a young paddler who will one day dominate the kayaking world. One of Tony's other pastimes is brewing beer. He often shows up to the river with his latest creations, complex and tasty, much to the joy of his fellow paddlers. But what is clear from after just a few minutes with Tony is that brewing is much more than a hobby. It is a passion that he takes very seriously and discusses with a clarity of scientific precision. Tony is in what I would call the pre-entrepreneurial phase of his business exploration. It was therefore a lot of fun to talk with him at this snapshot in time when he is contemplating his options. Tony has already mastered his product, honing scores of beer recipes that are now ready to go and multiple awards to his name. His latest award has also given him a chance to explore brewing at scale. Tony discusses this opportunity, the Norwegian yeast that has transformed his process, and the issues of location and branding that are currently on his mind. My gut is that Tony is going to take the plunge and turn his home brewing into a successful commercial brewery, or two. Listen now to see what you think. Hi everyone, this is Corey Hyman, host of the Make It and Sell It podcast. This is a show about entrepreneurs who develop new products and then produce, sell, and distribute these products themselves. This field is wide open and can be a fantastic opportunity for anyone who has the passion, skills, and persistence to succeed. Why do people do it? How do they do it? What can we learn from their experiences? Stay tuned to find out if this career path may be right for you. Hey, Tony. Hi. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. I have Tony Morell with us for this episode of the podcast. Thank you for joining today. Uh, no problem. So, Tony, just to, if you wouldn't mind just sharing a little bit about yourself and how you started home brewing. You know, my name is Tony Morell. I've been home brewing for eight or nine years. I started home brewing based on getting a Christmas gift that was a starter kit, a home brewing starter kit with a kit of uh, ingredients and I wanted to just give it a shot and I brewed a beer and it was terrible, absolutely terrible. I tried a few more times and it just wasn't working out for me. And so I stopped for about a year. And then I did some studying on the processes and, and what was going on and why maybe my beer wasn't good. And I got back into it with a, with a new process and that worked great. And I've been going at it pretty full time ever since then. I've got about 90 recipes that, that I've made. Some I, I brew more than once, but uh, I just keep saving recipes and tweaking them. That's where I'm at with it right now. Well, I wonder if it's more of the kits or more just uh, the opportunity to try something out and, and to keep practicing over time. Yeah, I think it's a little both. I think the kits are, are designed to get your foot in the door. And from there, it's up to you to really decide how far you want to take it. Uh, I don't know how much of the specifics that we want to get into, but the the process is a lot different when you're using the kit versus what you see in a commercial brewery. That's kind of the, the research that I did. And then I, I tried to do a very small version of, of what, what you see in a commercial. I kind of bypass the ingredients that come with the kit and I buy my ingredients locally now. They're, they're fresher. I think that has a lot to do with it. The, the freshness of the ingredients and how much thought and time is put into building the recipe. You want to have the freshest ingredients. So, Tony, when you received your gift, was it just a random gift or did the giver know that you enjoyed beer? The, yeah, they knew that I liked to drink beer. And I, at the time, craft beer didn't seem to be as big as it is now. It seemed like some of my friends and I would seek out certain brews that were local, mainly Trogues. I was really into Trogues Nugget Nectar at the time. And that's a seasonal beer. So it's only available in, 
at that time, I believe it was February. So my goal was to brew those types of beers that I could only get one or at a one or two months out of the year. I wanted to be able to make them anytime I wanted to. So it made a lot of sense that after you put down the kit and, and stop for about a year that it might pique your interest again, just because you were getting into craft beers and trying to figure out how to make beer at different seasons. Right. I knew that I didn't put that great of an effort into it, mainly because I was, I was, it was discouraging at first because there's a steep learning curve. It's difficult just to come right out the gate making a high quality product when you haven't really done much of it. So I thought, I don't know how much more time and energy I want to put into this when it's not working out. And I knew that at that time, it would take about six weeks from start to finish. So I, I would have a, a, I would brew and then have a period of anticipation and really excited for six weeks. And then I would crack the first bottle and then be immediately discouraged. So I, I switched the process completely. So I had a shorter turnaround time so I could figure out my mistakes and correct them quicker and have less waiting time. And Tony, just to be clear, this wasn't something that you were starting off to do as a job or a vocation. You actually had and still have a day job. But right. after you picked it up again, you just started becoming more interested and, and with a little bit more success, started to increase your focus on it over time. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, I still have my full-time job and I I don't sell my beer right now. I, I do. Yeah, I'll give growlers to people for donations and that money goes right back into the next batch. But, you know, I do have goals at some point to uh, my day job and start my own business with this. Well, as I've seen you in your posts online, I can really tell that you have a passion for it. You have a really good sense of what you're trying to produce. And it sounds as though you've participated in competitions and have actually won some awards for your beer over time. So it's obviously something that you've put a lot of time and thought into. Right. Yeah, thanks. Yep. As you have made it a hobby over time, I presume you've bought more equipment, you've been able to purchase more supplies and, and test things over time. What is your process like for testing new products? You said that one of the strategies is to try to reduce the time that it takes to sample your product, but uh, say a little bit more about the way that you've tried to hone your recipes, the, the 90 plus recipes over time. Okay. So the, I think that the biggest change to my recipes over time has been the yeast that I use. Traditionally, brewers will use, well, not traditionally is probably not the best word when, when, when you find out what I've been doing with the yeast. But on a homebrew level, about seven or eight years ago, people were really using one specific type of yeast that would ferment at 70 degrees Fahrenheit or lower. But in the past, I would say three or four years, I discovered a yeast from Norway that ferments at a much hotter temperature, 95 degrees, sometimes up to 110 degrees. And the fermentation is done in 24 to 48 hours. But in the past, that fermentation would take seven to 14 days, so up to two weeks. So I reduced the time that fermentation takes now by using this different strain of yeast, fermenting at a hotter temperature. I also cut out the bottling process, which would typically take about two weeks to for a bottle of beer to carbonate. But now I keg the beer and then I force carbonate the beer overnight at a high CO2 level. So those, all of those things together have really reduced. I can, I can brew a beer and it could be ready in four to five days for a, a specific style, for like an IPA style of beer, four to five days. Other styles may take longer, but the product is really done. And it's an old Norwegian farmhouse technique. So it's pretty interesting if, if you're into science of it. It was, it was really just an unheard of thing you, a few years ago in the homebrew world to brew or to ferment a beer at 95 degrees. That, that would have been a guaranteed, we call it a drain pour, the beer that just comes out terrible and you have to pour it out. That, <laughs> there's, 
that never <laughs> that never would have flown back then. But now it's a new thing that a lot of us are using, and commercial breweries are using it also. So it, it's really changed the brewing world, and it's, it's a pretty exciting thing for us. And is that innovation mainly for speed and getting your product out uh, to market sooner, or is it somehow the quality of the flavor profile or the depth or the richness? What's the motivation? It's actually both. You know, it's it's great to be able to turn the beer around quicker. I know on a commercial level, that's something that, that is really, really beneficial because if, they, if you're running low in a batch, you could quickly brew another one and have it ready within a week. Uh, the other benefit is the flavor profile. When you underpitch the yeast, which means to, to add less than you know, the typical amount, when you underpitch this Norwegian yeast, it brings out what we call esters, fruity esters. So it gives like a, a peach, a tropical fruit, sometimes more of a citrus type of flavor profile that complements IPAs and saisons and most styles of beer that I brew have some citrus or fruit element to it. So that it, it works really well for what I use. You've been doing this obviously for a very long time as a hobby, but I assume that you have honed your process as well. What has changed over the course of the eight or nine years that you have been brewing to either make uh, products better, faster, or to refine the process and keep you excited about it? One of the biggest things I've done is I've, when I first started brewing, I would brew inside. I would brew in our kitchen on the stovetop with large pots, 15, 10 gallon pots of, of water and really make a massive mess. And my wife just got, I mean, it got to the point where she would roll her eyes when she would see me starting to brew again. Like, here we go again. It was just a massive mess. So what I've done in the past few years, I've taken the process outside. So I use a propane heater, a, like a turkey fryer, and I, I stand outside. I, a lot of times I'll have a campfire going at the same time and I brew outside. I really like doing that. It keeps the mess outside. You know, I'm into the outdoors and it just it's nice to just be outside sometimes. And being able to create something while outside, I think, is a lot of fun. We both live in south central Pennsylvania. So this is a part of the country that absolutely has seasons. We have very hot summers and very cold winters. So are you able to make this a four season activity? Oh, yeah. Yeah. With the exception of maybe a few weeks or a month in late January or February when it's really at its if we're looking at sub-zero temperatures, which is rare here. Basically, what, what I need is running water out of a spigot from the outside of my house. So as long as I can do that, that that's how you chill the beer to get to a, the right temperature to add the yeast. When, when the beer is done boiling, you want to bring it down to 90 degrees or 95 degrees as quickly as possible. So by doing that, I run my well water through a hose, which runs through a copper tubing, which I dunk into the pot of water or a pot of of beer and that chills the beer. So as long as I'm able to do that, I can brew year round. And I imagine that given the nature of your hobby, you might have a few people who are willing to be your test subjects and, and give you <laughs> feedback about what they like and what they don't like. Right. Oh yeah, for sure. I bring beer to the river all the time, all the time. That's I've had a known for that at this point. And Tony, when did you start thinking about your brewing beyond it being a hobby and potentially something that you could turn into your business? I really started looking at the possibility of doing this for a living when this is going to sound kind of weird, probably not the typical answer that you would get for this, but I started going to breweries and was discouraged with the product that I was trying. And I, it would turn into, you know, I would sample beers. I would get a flight of beer, like a small sample of each beer. And I would compare that to the beer that I'm brewing. And I would look at the price of the beer that I'm paying for at the brewery. And I would think I can do better. And why am I not doing this? 
And I think that at that point, I started looking at all the local breweries and I travel a lot for work. So I've been all over the country and I try different breweries all over the place. I feel like I can I can compete with a lot of the beer that, that I try out there. I just think it would be nice to control my own hours and to have full control of what's going on in, in my life. I actually am not surprised at all, as we have interviewed others in different industries and in different aspects of the food business. One of the common themes is people's passion to bring something into the world that is better than what currently exists and to be able to share that with others. So I think that makes a lot of sense. That's cool. Clearly, you have excelled because, as we brought up earlier in the conversation, that you have won competitions. Can you say a little bit more about when you started competing and what motivated you to get into that part of the brewing world? Sure. Yeah, the competing part of this is something that in a homebrew community, locally, we have a competition that most of us attend. It's called the Iron Brewers, Lancaster Iron Brewers. And most of us buy our ingredients from the same homebrew shop. So this competition is advertised at the shop. I think it takes a brewer you know, a little bit of time to get the confidence to enter a beer. But the idea is that your beer is judged by people that hold certifications in beer judging. And so they give feedback for your product. A lot of times the idea isn't, oh, I'm going to win this competition. It's, I would like to get feedback on my beer and how I can improve it, you know, and maybe bring something better to the table next year for next year's competition. That was my motivation. I entered a contest, I want to say five years ago, and I was very surprised that I got third place in the category that I entered the beer in, which was a sour beer. That's a difficult category to win because usually sour beer brewers are very good at it. A sour beer is more difficult to brew than a non-sour beer. Traditionally, I think so. It, usually, if you enter a sour beer, it needs to be good. It's, it's really easy to screw one up and for it to come out tasting like vinegar. If it gets exposed to oxygen, it can go sour. It can go downhill in the, in the wrong direction real quickly. So I had this beer that I thought was good. I brewed it and I aged it for a year in my basement. And I entered it in the competition and it did great. And so then after that, I thought, well, was this a fluke or what? And so after that, I started entering into more competitions. I don't think there's a competition I've entered that I didn't win some type of award. I've won six or I've won eight awards now in competitions. And so I usually enter them once a year. So that kind of lines up with the amount of years I've been brewing. And I think some years I may have entered two of them. But most recently, I entered one at a competition at a local brewery and won what they call the Brewer's Choice Award, which means I get to go back to that brewery and brew that beer commercially. I'm really looking forward to that. What does that entail? That's basically me giving them the recipe and us scaling it up to the commercial size batch, which will be roughly 30 times the amount that I brewed for my homebrew batch. For instance, this beer had eight pounds of fruit and it now will have 240 pounds of fruit in it. It's going to be interesting to brew it there. It's a guava and strawberry sour beer with some hops in it. It's a little more than just a regular sour brewed in that Norwegian style process that I use. And I didn't boil the wort, which is the unfermented liquid, which is a, a Norwe another Norwegian technique that gives you a softer beer. And I felt like the fruit, the guava and strawberry will complement the softer mouthfeel of the beer. So that's kind of what I went after. It placed pretty high and it got second over second place overall in the competition, but first place for that brewer's choice for them to brew at their brewery. There are a couple of things about what you said that I just want to reflect on. One is the nature of the competition, which is that if everyone is getting their supplies from the same store, then I would assume the competition is even fiercer. 
because it really is more about technique than it is about the, the materials themselves. So that obviously says a lot about you and your ability to win under those circumstances and to continue to win on a regular basis. So that's very cool. I think that Thanks. the second thing is that in our podcast from last week, we interviewed a baker who did take an intermediary step from his home baking. He leased a small space in a commercial cafe and used that for six months as a way to then transition into his own bakery. And from what you've said, perhaps this opportunity to brew with this commercial brewer and to scale up your recipe could teach you a lot about the scaling process, about the business process, and may very well be one of the key steps to opening your own space. I assume you've already thought about that, but it just seems like a really interesting parallel two weeks in a row. Right. Yeah, that's, that is interesting. Yeah, I think that taking it outside of the environment that you're used to creating something in kind of gives you an idea of whether or not you really want to do it. I'm not 100% sold on even opening my own brewery. It's, it's an idea that I have, but I, I have, I've read that it's when you go from home brewing to brewing on a commercial level, you're now you're using a pallet jack sometimes to haul the ingredients around. You're dealing with grains that are 150 pounds worth of grains versus 20 pounds worth of grains. There's a physical element to it that, you know, I have to figure out if I want to do it or not, how that type of work will affect what type of space that I want to build. What is your thought process now about next steps to make that final decision about going forward or just continuing on a more informal basis? If I was asked that question a year ago, I'd say I have a five-year, and I and I still think that it's it could be up to a five-year plan, but possibly sooner. The COVID nineteen situation is kind of at first to put a damper on on the plans for me, but now I'm thinking that it may actually create some opportunity. I may move quicker. I may try to do something within the next couple of years. But the biggest thing for me is the location, and I want to. I want to incorporate outdoor activities with the brewery that I'd like to open. So I, I, I'm really trying to hone in on, on the location and, and that part of it before I get too involved in branding and things like that. I'm trying to figure out the best place to go. I'm thinking Western PA may be good. Starting here may be great. And then having a, a West version of the brewery in somewhere near Ohio Pile may be a, an idea that I have. And for listeners who may not know about Ohio Pile, it really is kind of the center of the kayaking universe. It's kind of at the confluence of, and it's actually in a near a town called Confluence, but it's uh, near uh, the Yakagani River, which is one of the best kayaking locations in this part of the country. So clearly a lot of folks who like to exercise hard and, and then to party hard as well. I, I think that'd be a terrific idea. Given that this is a podcast for people who do home-based businesses, what opportunities do you have to use your home brewing that you're doing right now as a launching pad for whatever you do next? In Pennsylvania or in other places, are home brewers allowed to set up shop and to sell? I know that you said you've only been collecting donations at this point, but could you do something from your home as an interim step as well to be able to get your business off the ground? Unfortunately, I don't believe that I can legally. I, I think that uh, in Pennsylvania, there's there's laws in place that state that you can't sell your beer unless it's brewed in a building outside of where you live with a permit and running water and electricity. And if I had another property, another structure on my property, I may be able to, but I don't. So I'm I'm limited to just saying that I'll accept donations, and that's kind of the route that a lot of home brewers go that are open breweries. In fact, some brew some breweries actually start out that way also. They'll guest brew at a brewery, and then they'll sell their product through that brewery, or they'll can their beer, or they'll bottle, they'll bottle their, their beer, and they'll sell it at festivals, but with a certain type of license. I have to look into those paths at some point. 
I'm kind of waiting until I have a brand figured out before I go too far that, into that direction. That makes a lot of sense. I'd never have researched home brewing, but I did think for a short time about the potential of making kombucha from home or from mm. the restaurant. And there are food categories that do require special consideration because the risk of causing problems when you have a live culture such as a yeast could potentially cause a lot of damage. So I guess that does make a lot of sense that the state Department of Agriculture or whatever regulatory authority would just want a little bit more control over the process. All right. Not too surprising. But say a little bit more. You said the first step is to think about a location before you start thinking about branding, but then you just mentioned branding a minute ago as well. How, how are you thinking about branding going forward? I've been researching names and thinking about names. And the part of Lancaster County and, and Pennsylvania that I live is the southern part. We have a, a name for it down here, the River Hills. The strongest name that I have right now is River Hills Brewing Company. And I envision a, a logo of some peaks some hills in the background, maybe a river running through it, maybe a, some smoke or fog coming up from the hillside, you know, your typical like hill mountains type scene. And I feel like that would go well with my outdoor theme that I'm, that I'm going for. But that's just my first idea. You know, I've had uh, some other ideas too, but I, I want to try to figure that part out. It's tough. It's tough to, because I feel like I have one opportunity to do it right. And if I don't do it right, then I have to rebrand you know, what I'm doing and, and then rethink the whole process. And I kind of want to avoid that. I may do some social media polls at some point of what do you think of this logo and this name? That's one of the biggest reasons why I share the beer that I brew on Instagram and Facebook. I have not a ton of people, but I have a decent following now of people that are interested in the stuff that I brew. And so I feel like with that audience, I could start to ask some questions. How would you feel about a brewery in this location, this name, this logo? That's probably my next steps is to start with some polls and questions out there to the people that know what I've been up to. Well, now you have a focus group and a, a sample size of one, but I love the idea. I love the outdoor theme. I love <laughs> the idea of the hills. So you have one thumbs up at least right now. But I think that's also Thanks. something that a lot of people talk about of using social media as a way to group think through new products. And it seems like not only a safe way to do it, but a way to get people excited and get them invested in your product. Tony, one of the things that we usually right. ask guests is about what they would recommend for people who are a little bit further back in the process of creating their own businesses. But I guess since you are a little bit further back, what are some of the things that you would want to know or things that you would want to ask or things that you're considering before you would pull the trigger and decide to turn this hobby and passion into a business? I think the biggest thing I would want to do, and I've recently started this process, is to ask other brewers, other owners of breweries, if they even like what they're doing. If it's something that they would do again, if they enjoy going to work, is it considered work for them or is it still fun? Like, you know, in the is this is a hobby for me. It's fun. I enjoy it. But I wouldn't want to invest a lot of time and energy into something that, that I don't enjoy. So I think that that's one thing I'm going to start with. And I'm also, this is kind of something that not many people know about yet, but I'm, I'm going to start working at a brewery that's opening in Lancaster soon. That's going to give me a, another view into whether or not I want to do this or not by seeing their processes. I love it. I think that that makes a lot of sense. The idea of what the difference is between a hobby and a business is life-changing. And so I think getting that feedback and input makes a lot of sense. Have you asked folks yet? And have you gotten some good feedback about what people like to do? I asked the brewery that I'm planning to brew at, actually, in, in a couple of weeks. I, I talked to them the night that I won the competition. I asked the owner, do you still like doing this? Because I know that he was a home brewer as of just a few years ago. And then he made the jump into this as a profession. And he said that he loves it and he would do it all over again and doesn't have any regrets. 
So that's positive. I've also been uh, following some forums online. And the one thing that I've noticed is that a lot of brewers say that they do like what they're doing, but their advice is don't open the brewery until you can fully dedicate yourself to it. Some places will start their brewery on a very, very small scale. Like they call it a nano brewery, where it's really not that much bigger than a home brewery. And they say that the reward just isn't worth it. You're brewing 24-7, basically, just to break even. And it's not it's not worth it unless you can really jump in and have large fermenting tanks, pretty big system. I have that in the back of my mind, too, that I don't want to just barely get into it. I want to do it the right way. That's very interesting. Some of the guests we've had on the podcast have said that perhaps we should start slow and in that way build up. But what I'm hearing you say is that maybe you need to have a certain level of investment and commitment even to get it going in the first place to make it have a chance for success. So I think that's also interesting advice too. So Tony, as somebody who's tried your product, I can also vouch for it and I would be very enthusiastic for a new brand and a new brewery. But if there are others who are listening to the podcast who might like to make a donation or learn more about what you're doing, what would be the best way for them to find you and learn about your 90 plus brews and follow your next steps as you make this decision and transitional process? The best way to track what I'm up to right now is through Instagram. And I don't have a brewery name. It's really just as simple as the first letter of my first name and my last name and one. So it's T Morrell one, T-M-O-R-R-E-L-L one. If you go to that Instagram page, you can see I'm actually looking at it right now just to make sure I had the name right. (laughs) And there's just tons of beers on here, all different colors. There's awards. It's mainly just a beer page. There's really not that much else to it. That's where I share all the beers that I brew. Excellent. And we'll put all that information in the show notes as well so people can just hyperlink to it. Tony, maybe okay. what we could do is just you know, not to ask you to commit ahead of time, but I think it would be fascinating maybe some months after you're into your commercial brewing process to just hear any new reflections that you might have. So maybe we could ask you to do an update at some point. But thank you very much today for taking this time and sharing where you are in your process and your inspiring story about how you've honed this craft to bring something really exciting and and really tasty into the world. Thanks. Yeah, that sounds great. I would love to do a follow-up. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening today. This has been the Make It and Sell It podcast with Corey Hyman. Please subscribe, let us know what you think, and stay tuned for future episodes. 